Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the good news with Angie Austin. Now with the good news. Here's Angie. Hey there, friend. Angie Austin with the good news here. Uh, Katie Millar-Wearig joining us, as she often does weekly. And we talk a lot about teens and the brain and anxiety, depression. Uh, We're going to talk about um, self-esteem and and how it doesn't have to be through getting attention for, like, their bodies. Uh, Welcome, Katie. Thank you. So happy to be here. So I sent Katie a picture that my friend Michael Pelka sent me, and it said, I'll bet the 1940s women didn't know that their swimsuits would become today's homecoming dresses because the 1940s swimsuits were kind of like a swim dress, but, you know, still pretty revealing. And that's what the homecoming dresses looked like, like kind of like a tube top, like a long tube top. So Katie and I were laughing about, um, you know, how the times have changed and what people consider clothing now. And, you know, teaching our kids that their value doesn't come through getting stares because they're wearing something so revealing, right? Absolutely. And, you know, this is this was an especially hard thing that I learned while doing pageants. I only was part of the pageant circuit for about two years. I, was, I did my local and then Miss Utah and then Miss America. And when you're doing those programs, a lot of times they're based around modeling. Miss America isn't. It's a, it's a scholarship program, but the Miss USA program is about modeling. And so there is a um, pressure, let's say, for lack of a better word, of showing off your figure, you know, leaning into the physical beauty because that is what sells. And that's what we were told was what sold. And so here I am at an impressionable young age of 19 years old. And and still, I felt like I had a pretty good head on my shoulders, but I'm also trying to determine my worth and, and, and how I want to be seen in society. And is it from the attention that you get from your physical appearance and the way that you dress and whether or not you feel like you have a good figure or is it deeper than that? And so it was a real, um, it it kind of pushed me to decide for myself where I saw my value. And I think that's so important for our girls today, especially, and boys, but girls deal with it more, especially with social media. When I, when I go through my, uh, my children don't have social media, but when I see their friends' social media posts, often the pictures, you can tell that they have been taking multiple photos of selfies to help themselves look as attractive as possible and are you know that they're hoping for the likes and the reactions and being told how beautiful they are and even though that can be very validating and very fun to get it is it can be also damaging because it reinforces to these young girls that this is where they need to put their focus and this is how they will get attention and love and admiration. Yeah, and it's so, um, it, it seems so dependent on those likes, their self esteem, and getting them to realize, and then all the comments underneath about, you know, you look pretty, you look this, you look that. And right now, they have a lot of friends, you know, associated with their accounts. But I know that some of these accounts are really opened up to the masses. And I can't even imagine what it feels like for a young person to get derogatory comments about themselves. And I I know you can suspend comments, but, you know, once they're already, you know, there and posted, uh, obviously they're going to see them. And and parents can protect their kids by disabling comments if they're allowing their kids to be 
on social media. Um, it's a slippery slope. It's an interesting thing. I, I've kind of talked to my girls about, you know, when I've dropped off, uh, you know, the kids at school and I'll see even dads dropping off girls where their rear end is coming out of their shorts, which those are banned. Those, I mean, I know they're in right now. Those are not allowed. And even volleyball, you have to be careful because those shorts are so small that their uniforms come with. Because my kid wears a uniform for her club, um, for actually for both school and club. But, um, you know, the, the shorts aren't that long. Uh, but I've made sure that hers, you know, fit appropriately, in my opinion. But a lot of the rear ends do hang out. But, you know, dropping your kid off for school, her rear end's hanging out. And she has a tiny crop top on and maybe even like a push-up something or other. So she has cleavage. And I'm like... How is a dad dropping off his daughter with that outfit for school, you know, when they're there to learn and, you know, yes, socialize, but uh, my girls kind of know, like, look, if you're going to wear, because crop tops are in now, but I'm not talking the super skimpy ones, but like, let's say their belly button mm-hmm. shows, my junior, if she has that on, then she has to wear jeans, like long jeans. So I call it the one or the other rule. If you're going to show your belly button, then you're not showing even your ankles, you're wearing pants. And then if you're going to mm-hmm. wear, um, you know, shorter shorts, not that short, though. Then you need a sweatshirt or a long sleeve shirt. Like it can't be the whole outfit can't be like revealing. And not that, you know, I let them even wear one item of clothing that's that revealing. But um, if the trend is, you know, crop tops, yes, I let them wear a shirt that shows their belly button, but um, not the ones that, you know, are like a bikini top. But even, even, I'll look at the pictures of like a bunch of their friends, for instance, posing for their, um, you know, homecoming um, pictures. And you look at it as a whole, and I've seen some celebrities getting pushback, like, why are you letting your 16-year-old dress like, you know, an adult or, you know, so risque or whatever. And and then I look at the photo, and I'm pretty careful when the girls pick out their dresses, but they're still, you know, like, one of them was above the knee, and then the other one was maybe three quarters of the way down her leg. But my cousin's kid rolled hers up because she thought it was too long. So it was landed like right under her rear because, you know, her mom didn't buy her one that came under her rear. So she rolled it up or tucked it under or something. Um, yeah. And it just it's perplexing to me that they feel that's necessary to be considered attractive. Yeah. And you know, I have so many thoughts about this and everything that you're saying. And I also agree. We, we go to schools that wear uniforms specifically for the reason that we don't want our children to be distracted or over um, focused on their fashion or things like that, because we do want them to have a learning environment. And when you take away fashion and, and those sorts of things, it takes away the pressure from these kids to have to feel like, you know, they're, they're fitting in in some way. And I love that. That's one reason why I do love the uniform. I know not everyone does, but I just think we need to dress appropriately for the, the, places that we're at and if the place that we're at is supposed to be a place of learning or you know of growth then let's wear the appropriate clothing for that but I think the big thing behind all of these issues because it's a hot topic right now of telling people you know we have these big movements where we are in charge of our bodies so we get to choose how we dress and no one gets to tell us about those things but we also have to recognize that these are children these are minors and there are also crimes against children and we need to protect our children and help them understand they don't they don't know yet their brains do not understand they are still developing that often the things that they post on the internet or um even the clothing that they wear that 
pictures they choose to post themselves can be used against, can weaponize against them and can victimize them without them even realizing that they were putting themselves in compromising positions. And so I think it's so important that we teach our children why we treat our body as a sacred thing. And then we ask ourselves within our family, what does that mean to us and how will that change how we dress? And I love that your family has like you, they know the rule, the one or the other rule. I think that's awesome. We have, we have things in our family too, where our children know like, Oh yeah, that's okay. But we, we still are clear of these sorts of, whether it's a bathing suit or a homecoming dress or prom dress, it's just certain things. And we have our why behind it. And sometimes the why behind is because I say, I want, you know, we agree that we'll enjoy the dance more if we feel like we're not falling out of our dress or that we're not getting, you know, a lot of attention that might seem fun in the moment, but might also be fleeting and not really, you know, give us deep connections with other people. And so we have to ask ourselves, why, why do we choose the clothes that we do? And if the reason we're choosing it is for one validation, because we want people to believe that we are attractive or, you know, we all want to feel attractive, but there's a different type of feeling like, Oh, I like the way my hair looks today to everyone's going to look at my cleavage. Um, why are we doing it? Is it, is it for the attention? And then two, am I seeking out external validation that is not real? And if we are, if we're, trying to get if we're dressing for those two things then we need to step back and say what am I missing in my life that's making me feel like I need that validation and maybe try to fill that cup and then hopefully we'll start to see these this desire for the attention through the shock factor of maybe you know walking around in clothing that might be a little too revealing um, we'll hopefully see that in our teens start to lessen. And, you know, a couple of times um, when my 16-year-old, she's a junior, when she um, has had something on where I thought like the, there was a skirt and then like a tank top, I think she had on. And I'm like, you can't wear that to the football game. And she's like, why? Everybody else, you know, wears skirts and tanks. I was like, you know, skirts, you know, they're like the skirt shorts. And I bought them for her, mm-hmm. but she's grown. She's like 5'9 now, you know. So I'm like, eh. So... And it's interesting because she'll always change, but she does. She did kind of like put up a little bit of a fight, but not fight. A little bit of you know, what what's the problem? You know, I don't understand. And da da da. And like felt like I was kind of body shaming her. And I'm like, no, I'm just saying that. First of all, it's a football game, so it's going to get cooler. Secondly, it's at you know, she's going to her boyfriend Lutheran High, so the the Christian school where I'm assuming she goes. Oh no, mom, you would not believe what these girls were at the football game. I'm like, okay, okay, but you're not. You know, so go get mm-hmm. jeans and a sweatshirt or at least a sweatshirt. Like, you can't wear that. And her father will say the same thing. But the interesting, I mean, the good thing, I guess, is we're both on the same page, you know. And so I'd say there have been three occasions where whatever she's tried on, I'm like, absolutely not. Oh, and the swimsuit thing is interesting, too, because um, she always kind of wore the 1940s, like, kind of bikinis with the, you know, much bigger bottoms, you know. And then the little mm-hmm. one, when she was like, she's 14 now, but her friends were wearing bikinis like long ago. So I remember she was going to a swim party and she was the only one that didn't have a bikini. And she told her friends, well, I can't wear them because my mom says nobody needs to see my belly button. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And we have, we have similar guidelines in our family, but I think you bring up a really solid point in that 
one of the biggest issues we get is that it is prevalent. And everyone, and I'm sure even many of the people listening today, have different ideas about what's appropriate in their family. And so it is hard when our kids, because my daughter, we have this very conversation not about um, clothing, but about social media, where we have a family rule that there's no social media till 16. And I know that seems incredibly intense to many people, but that's our family rule. And she's like, Mom, you know, why not? And I'm like, but I have degrees in neuroscience. I know what this is going to do to your brain and your self-esteem. So this is a hard and fast family rule for us that we will not have our young ones on social media. And so it's so hard to try to explain, not, not by demeaning another family and what they chose to do, while staying strong to what you feel strongly in your family. And that's why it's a good point. That's a good point to not make the others feel like, oh, we think we're better or, well, we don't let our kids do that because it's it's a tough road. It is a tough road. And and all of us as parents, I think one of the hardest things as being a parent is none of us are super confident in our parenting. I mean, it's, it's a funny thing being a, being a self-help author in parenting and then having a fail with your kid and being like, I am a total fraud. I am sitting here trying to teach other families and I don't know what I'm doing either because we're all in this together and none of us have all the answers and none of us know exactly what we're doing. We're all going by, you know, prayer and, and a, hopefully a lot of luck and just hoping that our kids come out okay. Yes. We don't we don't necessarily want to say for the other families, well, their parents are wrong and they don't know what they're right. doing. But it's just, right. in our family, I'm trying to be prayerful about this. I'm trying to do our best. And with what knowledge I have about the brain or with what knowledge I have in my experience and, you know, pageants and modeling, I have learned that the best way to protect your self-esteem and protect your brain is through no social media and through, you know, honoring our bodies by dressing appropriately. And so I can only go by what I know and I can't shame other families for doing differently but it is really hard and that's why i was going to say always goes back to this having these why conversations with your kids instead of just giving a blanket no like yes. my daughter we had to give a blanket no to the social media thing and she was so mad but once she was able to calm down i said let me tell you my why and then you can tell me your why and we'll come to a conclusion together i love so it my why you know I love it. We're, we're, we're almost out of time, so I, oh, I, sorry, um, but I, um, I love it Wait, that I, I love it that you let them speak. You know what I mean? That they get to have a conversation with you. All right, Katie, give us your website. Yeah, for sure. Visit me at theanxietyhealingprogram.com or my Instagram at the Balanced Mind Project. Thank you, Katie. Yeah, thanks so much, Angie. Boulder is tuned to the mighty 670 KLT Denver. Arc Thrift needs your small furniture and electronics donations now. You can donate that end table or folding chair you've been meaning to find a new home for. Smaller sized furniture that can fit in your trunk and home goods like blenders and air fryers are items that Arc badly needs right now. They make it easy by unloading your car and your donations help people with intellectual and developmental disabilities, the primary mission of Arc Thrift. ARC has high demand for small electronics like speakers, soundbars, Bluetooth speakers, and turntables. And once you donate, you can shop in the stores for your own treasured finds. Each ARC thrift location has over 5,000 new items every day. So there is always something new and exciting. Every ARC thrift store keeps their shelves fresh with new merchandise, so each new purchase will be special to you. ARC's donation centers are open from 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Saturday. Sunday donation hours are available as well. To find the nearest ARC Thrift Donation Center, go to arcthrift.com slash donations.
Hey there, friend, Angie Austin and Dr. Royzen here with the good news, with the hottest, latest medical news. Dr. Royzen joins us weekly. Hey, Doc. How are you, Angie? It's good to be here. Oh, couldn't be better myself, my friend. Sometimes I think God has favorites because I am feeling pretty good. Oh, isn't that great? (laughs) All right. So I see you have several here that are um, highlighted, and I, I, I like number one and zero. So there's one on longevity and um, climbing stairs. Uh, either of those a favorite? They are both favorites. So the longevity is we're going to get um, a, a, at least a 10-year increase in life expectancy in the next 10 years, I think. Nice. We've seen a 56% decrease in heart disease death since 1970. That is, if we had the same death rate from heart disease as we had in 1970, we'd have 450,000 more people dead from cardiovascular disease in the U.S. last year. We've had a 33% decrease in cancer since uh, 1992, cancer death rate, um, which means we have about 150,000 less, so 600,000 between those less. Even if you look even at things like cystic fibrosis, the average cystic fibrosis patient is living 10 years longer than they did just 15 years ago. So the point is we're getting these accelerated medical breakthroughs, and there's no reason um, that people aren't going to work longer. That is, it, at the average age of retirement in the United States is now 61 if you're and and the person is going to live to 79 about 18 years on average but now if you're going to live to 89 or longer you're going to not retire as early or not want to spend more time doing nothing if you will so if you if each person 61 were just one year late one year longer it would be 340 billion if they work 10 years longer so the retirement percentage doesn't decrease that's $3.4 trillion. And if each group does it as they come up, that it really is about $34 trillion. It's almost doubling our GDP, we'd guess, in the next decade if people kept working as long as the life expectancy increases. That's an enormous amount of tax. It's an enormous decrease in the need for Social Security and Medicare trust funds, and people pay into them while they're working, so it solves those problems. And in fact, the tax rates in uh, Denver and Colorado Springs and the state of Colorado would actually have to go down to just have a balanced budget. Oh, I like that. All right. Well, this is great news. I know that you've been telling us for several years now that we're going to be living longer. So looking forward to this. Um, there are a couple here that are catching my eye, too. Let's do the climbing the stairs. But I also want to talk about the phones and teens. So let's start with the stairs. How does that help us? Well, the stairs, it turns <coughs> excuse me, it turns out this was a large study from Great Britain. Um, using the UK database, Biobank database, which is all the people in Great Britain followed since 1990. And what they found is those who did five flights of stairs, whether together or separately, one flight at a time, didn't matter. They had a 20% reduction in cardiovascular disease. So 
it's a stairway to health, if you will. Hmm. So, you know, the phrase stairway to heaven, well, this is stairway to health. I love it. I love it. All right. Um, so, and, go ahead. And 20 stairs, by the way, 20 flights didn't get you more benefit than five. So um, it is five is, is the magic number in stairs, apparently. Hmm. All right. Well, we've got stairs at the house, so that uh, that's definitely helpful. We have three floors, so that keeps us running. Uh, let's talk about um, the kids, because we've started taking uh, two of the kids, the younger ones. We've got, got three in high school. So the two younger ones, we take the phone at night. Uh, the teenage boy, he's a senior. He can sleep through anything. Like, he doesn't keep his – he silences his phone, so he's not bothered. But the girls, theirs go off all the time. I'll have their phone for, like, during a game, Doc, and, it'll, and I'll look down, and they'll have 67 notifications just during, like, a one-hour game. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like, nobody texts me like i might get 67 in yeah, a week the, the, and they feel like responding the average teenager is getting over a thousand texts a day and, and between midnight and 6 a.m the average teen is getting up to do texting it's and so we've got to get control of this because we don't know what this is going to do to their brains or their functioning long term. And Doc, actually, that was the story. It was it was the the parents who were uh, told about this who didn't know about it, but but from the uh, um, they the school did a survey. The schools say uh, they're getting texts in the middle of classes. Um, they're not even paying attention to what's going on in class because they're answering texts. So what and, so, and, and what this is, when it says prompt stock, just so you know, because you and I, you know, we're not really in the know. But I know they've got Snapchat, they have Instagram, and then they have their texts. So, and they have so, so these they, are all prompts. The process is you've got, you've got to get the schools to take away the phones during the school day. And then you've got to take them away sometime around 10 p.m. So what we've done is we get them at 930 and they're gone. They'll get up in the morning. Uh, they have other ways to wake up, old school ways to wake up. And then uh, during the day, one of them that has ADHD, one of the kids, I mean, they may not seem fair, but she doesn't get to bring her phone to school because she has to have a certain grade level for us to allow her to have her phone. And today, neither of the girls have their uh, phones at school. We decided that's just, you know, it's it's a privilege. It's not a right. And then at night, they're totally taken away from them. And you know what? They get used to it. They bring it every night, and they bring it, and they plug it in our bathroom. Uh, and so, yeah, they threw a fit in the beginning, but they get used to it. And we have to protect them because it's like gambling. It's exciting when they get a text or, you know, Snapchat. And like you said, they feel like they have to respond. So I think that's the right thing to do. Let's do one more. Want to do the skin cancer? Um, I don't think that's a good enough for the general audience. Go All right. Another one. All right. Well, um, give us a little info on the book and website and how we get your uh, app, et cetera, to live longer. Um, so it's longevityplaybook.com. The book is The Great Age Reboot. You can get it any place, Amazon, independent book, um, and the app, which keeps things up to date. And we're doing on the Scientific Advisory Board today is going over some new data on protein that indicates that you probably should get uh, protein um, which is one of the it's it's an amino acid in your food every four hours 
when you eat. So if you eat over an eight-hour period, um, 10, 2, and 6, get uh, some leucine at 10, at 2, and at 6. Okay, so protein, important. Make sure we get that in there, right? Excellent. All right, give us your website one more time, Doc. Playbook.com. And all the information that we over and uh, protein, et cetera, within a couple of weeks, that will be in the library at longevityplaybook.com, as well as in the recommendations if you uh, select uh, food choices. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Doc. Always a pleasure. My privilege. Take care. You too. Okay, friends, you are still listening to the good news. Always great to have Dr. Royson on the program. We have more medical news for you now. This month is Liver Cancer Awareness Month, and we are talking about the importance of screening. Joining us is Dr. Nadine Abijode, Chief of Interventional Radiology and Director of Clinical Research at the University of California, Irvine. Welcome, doctor. Hello. Thank you for having me. Okay, the first, you're welcome. The first thing that just pops into my mind is, how do we catch this early? Because all I can think about is my senior year in high school, I worked at a hospital, and one of my best friend's moms had liver cancer, and the whispers in the hallway at that point in time, 30 years ago, were that she was going to die. Like, there was not really a good chance for her to survive at that point in time. I understand things have changed now. So how do we catch this early? Like give us give us the lowdown on, you know, screening, et cetera. Yes. So screening is very important. Um, so knowing the risk factors. So if you have, of course, there's alcohol, hepatitis um, and um, cirrhosis. But also new, new things that have emerged that we're learning more about is fatty liver disease, which can be caused by obesity, diabetes, or metabolic syndrome can all cause liver cancer. Oh. It's very easy to get screened. It's an ultrasound plus a blood draw. Uh, and if there's something on the ultrasound, then we get to more advanced imaging, which is how it's diagnosed. All right. So in terms of when it's caught, it is uh, much more um, uh, treatable um, early on. Is that right? It's always treatable, but the results you'll get if it's treated early are significantly better. Um, so you can have more curative options, uh, like with surgery and ablation when it's got small. Uh, if it's more intermediate and advanced, then it's um, harder to cure, but you can still, it's always treatable. Advanced liver cancer can be treated with a vastin intocentric, which are the standard of care. If it's more intermediate, then this is the kind of things I do in interventional radiology using small little needles or catheters, which are fancy words for small plastic tubes to go in the vessels and deliver medications locally. That's fascinating. And I didn't know, you just educated me, I didn't realize things like metabolic syndrome, you don't even have to have diabetes. And you've got a weight issue, you've got metabolic syndrome, which is, I mean, li- diabetes runs in my family. So that's something I've always tried to keep an eye on. So uh, the, the average person that isn't a drinker and doesn't have some of the, you know, normal uh, to take, you know, part in some of the normal causes of liver cancer um, can get it, you know, as well. I didn't um, I didn't realize that. So what do you want our listeners to know as we're getting educated, uh, you know, this month about liver cancer? Um, it's really easy to get screened. Please get screened. Uh, and, you know, to remember that it's the face of liver cancer is changing, right? As you said before, people would only think about it for alcoholics or people who had hepatitis. It's not really that anymore. Of course, if, you, if you've if you had a history of alcoholism or, hep, you know, hepatitis, 
it's really important that you get the screening. But also, again, fatty livers or non-alcoholic steatohepatitis, which is cirrhosis that's been caused by the fatty liver, really important to get uh, screenings as well. So what do we say, you know, to our doctor, I schedule, uh, I've got three teens and my husband and he wouldn't even go in for a physical if I didn't schedule him, but oh my gosh, is he healthy? So what do we say to the doctor when we go in? Obviously, it's probably more important for the adults in the family to um, get screened, but I don't know that that's something that happens during my physical. Yes, I would ask for it during the the physical. Uh, And, you know, if he, in case they are not aware, because there is, so some studies that have shown that actually part of this is also the patient's not always being compliant, but some of it is the doctor's not prescribing the needed screening. Okay. Um, then just please let them know that, no, it is a risk factor. It's actually like in the United States, it's a predominant, a, a big role of HCC is caused more by, by metabolic syndrome or diabetes, basically fatty liver rather than... Um, hepatitis, which is more common in Asia, for example. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I want to make sure people know where to go to get more info so they are educated when they go in to see their doctor and, uh, you know, know what to, you know, ask for. I would go to againstlivercancer.com. Againstlivercancer.com. Thank you so much, doctor. You sure educated me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin on AM670 KLTT. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.